Welcome to episode 70 of the Breaking Atoms podcast, where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Chris Mitchell, as always, and I am the actual factual. That is my AKA, because I speak nothing but truth, and I speak nothing but facts. Before I go any further, I just want to hail up, large up, big up my boy Black Keys for coming through on the last episode, which was titled Come Clean, Hip Hop Confessions. Um, Yeah, he confessed to the whole world that he has not heard Operation Doomsday and he's not heard the Food album. So if you ever see Black Keys outside acting like he's a Doom fan, please let him know that you know he's not. But no, that's my guy. Respect Black Keys and I love you for coming through, man. And um, we'll we'll catch up soon and we'll talk about some of those albums that I haven't heard and maybe share some more hip hop confessions. For today's episode, though, we have one of the most legendary DJs. In, in the UK and you know one of the one of the best DJs in the world uh, he's a club DJ radio DJ presenter for Kiss FM on the on the Kiss FM rap show um he DJs for Kistory he's a producer he's a DJ and he DJs for some of the biggest acts in the world too like don't get it twisted Dizzy Rascal he also DJs for Roots Maneuver he's the self-proclaimed mixtape king and he's one of the best yet word to gangstar his name is DJ MK and we spoke about him growing up in northwest London living next door to Aswad archiving music DJing for Roots Maneuver and more you can hear the conversation after the drop hey yo we about to tear it up DJ MK, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. I'm very, very well. How you doing, man? I'm good, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Before we start the interview, though, I just want to yeah. check in with you and make sure you're, you're, you're whole and that home is good. And um, as a DJ, someone like you, you're used to being out and about yeah. among the people, rubbing shoulders, making us feel good and have good times, right? What's lockdown been like for someone like you? Uh... That's a good question. As a DJ, like you said, you're, you're out everywhere, right? Uh, and with someone like me, I work, I've actually worked out this is the longest time I've spent in the UK without leaving it in 23 years, which is kind of mad. But at the same time, when you do all that travelling with the DJing and you're surrounded by loads of people... There's also the other side of it of where you're kind of in, you're not in lockdown, but you're in confined spaces. So say literally every year for the last 20 years, I've gone to Australia and New Zealand to tour. But when you're on that plane for whatever it is, like nearly 30 hours, you're not moving anywhere. You're in that confined space. Do you know what I'm saying? Then when, after you do the, your gig, you know, you're in hotels, uh, you're in studios, uh, if you you know if you're a producer as well, so I'm very much already used to that lifestyle. Do you know what I'm saying? Of being in a studio, right? We're not leaving here for for a day or two days, or so I'm, I'm very much used to that, and it hasn't been like a problem where it may be for someone who leaves the house every morning at seven, does the nine to five, come home. And then the, their home space is just, you know, they'll eat, they'll chill. Like, I have a studio here. And, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm ready for it. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean still. I know what you mean. Um, but for me, though, there, there's two mm. things that I've learned 
uh, in the lockdown. And the first thing is what I can do without and what I can do for myself. So yeah. in terms of, you know, what I can do without, I don't need to go to the barber every week anymore. I can go every, every fortnight or I can go every month. In terms of what I can do for myself, uh, I'm in the process of setting up my own studio at home so I can record at my own pace and in my own time. Sure. As for you, uh, world famous DJ, what have you learned that you can do for yourself and what you can do without? Let, let our listeners know. Well, I've learned that, like you were saying, you're setting up the home studio. Normally, I'd go to Kiss every week or twice a week or sometimes three times a week to record my two shows on Kiss Street and the hip-hop show with Shorty Blitz. Uh, like now, I've got the nice mi- microphone and, and you know, I've, I've got to do it from home. I've got to do the mixes here. Uh, so on that side of it, I'm getting used to working in, in a home environment rather than a studio one and liaising with all the people from KISS on Zoom, uh, even, you know, recording links online and stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's been quite interesting. Uh, but also, like you were saying, you know, stuff like haircuts, you know, maybe getting a haircut every two weeks isn't the most important thing in life. But, bro, I've been living in, in a, in a tracksuit for the last three months. I haven't bought any new 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 garms, and just just little things. I think the older you get, and something else that, that this, this kind of put into perspective for me is you. Me personally, like I don't need as many things as as I had before. I, I've come to the realization that the only actual physical items, things that I need, that makes me happy and helps me in my job, is is records. <laughs> Right, and and I have them. I've never got rid of them, and I'm 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 blessed to have that. Uh, but I say, for example, I've been very lucky with 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 like being a successful DJ. Clothing companies come to you and they give you sponsorships. To so say, like with Nike, they've they've been sponsoring me since like 2003. So as a result of that, you know, I've got hundreds and hundreds of pairs of trainers. But as great as that is. I'm now looking at those trainers going, I can't wear any of them. So, you know, so I'm looking in this closet, taking up all my room of, you know, hundreds of pairs of kicks. And I'm just thinking, boy, is this really necessary? No, no, it's not. Do you know what I mean? So I think for everyone in this lockdown is putting stuff into perspective of of, of what you need in in your life. Like one thing I don't have is is a garden because I, I, I live in a, in an apartment. Uh, I'd love a garden so I can plant stuff so I can grow some food. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, let's stick to the topic of growth, though. I grew up in Northwest London, just like you, Northwest 10 to be precise. And I'm very territorial when it comes to, to Northwest London. I think there's no place on earth like Northwest London and coming from, you know, the West Indian community, there was a lot of us around and there was also a lot of, of Irish people. It was a melting pot of cultures, you know, Brazilian, Portuguese, but I always remember Irish people being around and us all mixing and matching as and when we needed to. What was life like growing up for you in Northwest London in the seventies, eighties and nineties? Paint that picture for us. Looking back, we were kind of in a bubble. I think growing up in Northwest London, because when you grow up in Northwest London, 
it's a special place and it's easy for, for me to say that and for that to kind of go over people's heads but only really people from northwest london know that vibe know know that community and and, and what it was like so for me my parents my dad's from uh belfast originally his family's originally from dublin but he grew up in belfast so he grew up on a council estate he was the only catholic family in in the protestant street uh obviously the english invaded and were there so he's you know seen all the troubles uh and then my granddad got him out of there uh and then he came to the uk my mum came in the 60s as a nurse age 17 uh and then they grew up i uh, sorry uh, you know they raised me and my sister and you know we didn't know it but it's only it's only really now in the last sort of 10 years talking to to, to my mum and dad like really finding out what it was like because that generation of our parents and what they had to go through was a whole different type of energy. It was a whole different thing. And, you know, my parents wouldn't really talk about it. My dad would never really talk about coming to this country. And then the first thing he, he, he did was to hide his accent because he, he had a strong Belfast accent and came here in, you know, I think 1970, 71, and at that time, you know, you had all the IRA bombings. So, you know, that was like the worst look you could have. <laughs> you know, you come over to London and suddenly everyone hates you once you step out of northwest London because you're you're a terrorist, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I- I'll be honest with you, man. It's it's really It's really interesting to hear it from the Irish perspective, because coming from the West Indian community, Jamaica in particular, I remember hearing stories about, you know, when my grandparents came over here. So they had to come over here and they, they had to assimilate and blend in and, and um, almost be, I think they had to be as palatable as possible. So, so for example, my grandma's name, it, it was Delzita. And, um, when she came over to this country, you know, she started calling herself, Gloria. Yeah. So it's it's just really interesting to me to hear, you know, the similarities in how the West Indian communities and right, the Irish communities were were discriminated against. And even though I had some idea, hearing it from the source, it's it's quite it's quite insightful. And it you know, yeah. in some ways, it's it's comforting and it's a shame, but it's still it's still kind of painting that picture for me that you know we're we're, we're more similar than we are alike. You know, particularly yeah. when it comes to you know our culture and the hardships that come from being who we are. Yeah, I mean, stuff like, you know, my dad telling me about trying to find accommodation, trying to find a job, and that wasn't happening, trying to find accommodation, and they'd have the no Irish, no blacks, no dogs, you know, which now you think of that and you just think, you know, how could that even happen? But that was just a normal thing. Another thing I remember my parents telling me was, you know, they're both from Ireland, they had Irish passports, and, and they changed, they changed they got rid of their Irish passport in, I think, 78, 79 to an English passport because the National Front was so big at the time. Uh, and they thought they, may, they might get dashed back out. They might get, you know, kicked out of this country. So, but yeah, childhood was, was wicked, man. Growing up in Northwest London, so we used to go like, you know, we had Gladstone Park, we had the Welsh Harp, we had 
uh, Wilson. Okay, wicked, wicked, wicked. We had like Wilson Sports Centre, and every Thursday back in the day, like in the eighties and late seventies, they used to do free swimming lessons for the kids on Thursdays. So we used to go to that, but I, I, I didn't know that, that we were poor. You know, like I said, it was only recently when my mum would tell me about how there wouldn't be enough food and my mum and dad would go without and they'd give it to me and my sister to make sure we had our vitamins and stuff. My dad would have his work clothes and he wouldn't have any casual clothes. He'd have his work clothes and that was it. You know, uh, all of our clothes were, were secondhand from up until the age of like seven or eight. We used to have, I used to have my uncles who moved from Ireland to New York uh, and they'd send us over these big black bin liners of, of clothes. I remember me and my sister opening them up going, oh, we've got some new clothes, wicked. But looking back, the clothes that they'd send us were obviously like from five or six years ago. So, so they'd send us a package in the early 80s when I was a little kid, but yet they'd all be from the mid-70s. <laughs> so they'd all be like some fashion that was just totally already out of date. But we didn't know, we, di we didn't care. And growing up in Northwest London, as you know, is one of the most diverse communities in the UK. So, I, you know, I grew up with a lot of Irish people, a lot of people from the Caribbean, a lot of people from Africa, people from Spain, people from, from Italy, you know, literally all over the world. So that was normal for us. That was, it was only then as I started to get older and then I went to school outside Northwest London that you see that the world is not Northwest true, London. True, this the is world true. Is yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of together and everyone gets along and does their thing. So, yeah. If we stay in Northwest London though, just, just for a bit longer, um, Northwest London is it's a hotbed for, for music, you know, when you think of, of gospel music, because there's so many churches around, um, reggae, mm. all types of genres, hip hop, R&B, yes. it's, it's all over the shop. How did you, as a Northwest Londoner, born and raised, get into hip hop music? Well, before I got into hip hop music, I remember from a very young age, I was into music full stop. So as a kid growing up, me and my sister... Like, we had some beat-up black-and-white TV, and then obviously we got a colour one. But the TV wouldn't be on in the daytime at all. Not not as a strict rule, like, oh, this is a special TV and we're only turning it on at night time. It just wasn't the thing. And we always had music in our house. And the ra my mum would have the radio on pretty loud from the minute she woke up at six in the morning till my dad came home at six at night. So we, we, we play with a background of music. And at that time, <clears throat> the music that was getting into the pop charts, it was a very special time. It was a special time because creatively the, 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 the equipment that was coming up and technology-wise, so you had the, the birth of samplers, you had the birth of, of synths being used in music. Uh, the record industry wasn't locked down and controlled like it was now. So I remember watching Top of the Pops religiously and seeing, you know, British funk, Light of the World, seeing uh, High Tension, who are from Cricklewood. Uh, 
you know, and then like synth pop of like Gary Newman and the Pesh Mode and people like that, like Michael Jackson, Prince, all these kind of dudes. And I just loved it. And from a very young age, I would buy records. I'd go down to, to the little precinct in Easton, the, the Woolworths there. And from the age of seven, I'd, I'd buy records. And for some reason, I just love it. And it kind of hypnotized me. Uh, also, obviously, growing up in Northwest London, there's a huge like reggae community. Uh, two doors down the road for me, two of the guys from a group called Aswad, which were a huge reggae group in the 70s, and, and they were my neighbours. I've got memories that actually my first memories of, of, of one of my first memories of hearing music is seeing my neighbour, who was the dude from Aswad, driving his BMW, playing reggae music really loud. And as, as a three-year-old kid walking down the street with my mum, I never heard a car with a system, like a proper system, blaring out tunes and hearing that bass. <clears throat> and I remember saying to my mum, like, what is that? Like, why is this car going by just like humming up? I was just amazed by that. And then my mum was like, oh, that's, you know, that's just music. They've got it on really loud. I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible, you know? Uh, okay, okay, all right. So you grew up two doors down from Aswad. You're used to hearing loud reggae music and you fell in love with the music yeah, and you obviously yeah, yeah. fell in love with the volume. How did you get into the, the DJing side of things, though? Like, what was, what was your, your entry point into, you know, the whole two turntables and, and the microphone. I know you weren't on the microphone, but when did the love? When did your love for the two turntables start? Okay, so in 1983, we moved from Neeson to Wembley. Uh, across the road from me, there was a kid called Nick Mars, and he was a year older than me, and we used to play football together. You know, I moved to this new area. My cousins who lived in Neeson uh, had moved to, to, to Wembley. So apart from them, I didn't know anyone. So meet this kid play football with him or whatever. And one day when we were playing football, he had a Walkman and he had speakers that you could put on to your Walkman. And he was just playing tunes. And he, play, he played me uh, White Lines by, by Grandmaster Flash, <coughs> well, Grandmaster Nelly Mel. And I just really loved it. And then that appeared on a compilation album. Uh, now that's what I call music, I think, volume three. And... I bought that or, or I got it for Christmas or whatever. And then I just kept on playing it. At that time, there was loads of, of, of hip hop and hip hop related songs that were getting into the charts and you'd see on top of the pops. So you'd see Buffalo Girls, Malcolm McLaren, Supreme Team. You'd see Herbie Hancock, Rocket, who had a DJ doing some scratching. So you're like, wow, what's that? In my area, <clears throat> there was a lot of graph. So I remember seeing graffiti pieces that were similar to the videos and stuff that I was seeing on top of the pops. And slowly I'm putting two and two together and I'm being exposed to this brand new thing, which, which, which is hip hop culture. And I just fell in love with it straight away. So what are some of the albums that you can remember as a, a young hip hop fan and a DJ? What were some of the albums that you know you fell in love with, and since have become your your you know your go to joints? Like if you could time travel and take me back to the days of a, a young a younger because um, you're not that old, um, you're not old at all actually. Um, if you could take me back to the days of a younger D 
DJ MK, what would be those albums that he would keep in the crates? Yeah. Well, growing up, the, the first kind of albums that I got hip hop wise were compilation albums. So there was a series of albums called Electro. So like Electro 1, Electro 2, Electro 3. And they'd have all of the latest 12 inches on it. It made more sense to buy them because 12 inches then were like £5.50, £6. You could only buy them from import record shops. So I used to get these compilation albums, study them, and just absorb them. Uh, then I remember the first actual sort of 12 inch I bought was Dougie Fresh the Show, which is the summer of 1985. And, and, and that just blew me away. And then from then, I discovered specialist record shops. So that would start off with all the specialist shops in uh, Wembley and Harleston, which were mainly reggae shops. I'd, they'd have a little hip hop selection, which I'd go in and I'd buy. Then I went secondary school. So I went to a school called Cardinal Vaughan, which was in Holland Park. Yeah, so <clears throat> I used to have to get the tube from Wembley to either Gordock Road and then walk down or go to Holland Park and then walk down from there. Uh, but, but then I'm walking through Shepherd's Bush and there used to be a record shop called Just Records. There used to be another shop called Discount Records. There used to be another shop called Vinyl Lab. So now I'm going to all these other record shops that have got the proper selection. And then at the same time, I'm learning about DJs like Tim Westwood, Mike Allen, Pirate Radio. Uh, you know, kids kids at school would be into reggae music. So I was listening to Time FM, Unique FM, and all the mainly reggae lovers rock stations even, you know what I mean? Okay, all right. So you, you mentioned some of the uh, the DJs that you learned about from, from your your trips to the, the record stores, who were the DJs in particular who influenced you, like in terms of, you know, your cutting, your scratching, the mixing and the selections? Like, who would you say are the DJs who make up your DJ DNA? Okay, well, I suppose that, that you could divide them into two sections. <clears throat> so there's the UK guys who were doing their thing. So you had, obviously... Uh, a guy called Dave Pierce who do a Monday night hip hop show. He's the guy who you hear in the the second Public Enemy album, introducing Public Enemy. So he had a show which was huge. Listen to that religiously. Then you had Tim Westwood on Capital Radio. He started in 1987. Before that, he was on Kiss FM on Pirate. Before that, he was on LWR. That was on Pirate. Uh, then Richie Rich, who was uh, a DJ on Kiss FM when they were a pirate. He was more on the skills, on the cutting, so I was really into him. Then I was discovering Jazzy Jeff. I was discovering Cash Money, uh, DJs like that. So it was really like hearing Jazzy Jeff just just made me want to buy and get turntables. I, I heard Jazzy Jeff do his live, live at Union Square routine, which is on the second album, which is basically <clears throat> a live segment of him and the Fresh Prince, and he's just cutting up uh, Ultimate Breaks and Beats, and it's, it just blew me away, and it still does, even even to this day. So that made me want to get decks, and that's what I did. I, I got decks when I was like... I got one deck first when I was like 14, 15, just some rubbish, like Kiddies, Argos desk, I mean deck. Uh, so I had that first. I ruined literally all of my records because I didn't use slip mats and then I discovered you know what actual decks were how much they cost uh 
so yeah i basically did loads of hustles at school and, and got the money together and then went down to the edge of road which is where you buy your decks back in those days and then i got my decks and then i, I was away so one thing i i really admire about djs who who plied their trade before the whole the whole internet boom is the ability they have to be able to go out there and find new records whether it's knowing mm. what stores to go to or or who to to have relationships with or just really have their their ear to the street nowadays uh some djs don't go any further than their, their inbox um they're looking at data on spotify on apple music and you know whilst you've got all these algorithmic charts and whatnot how do you, as a as a DJ and a real DJ, yeah. hands-on DJ, how do you keep in touch uh, with the algorithm of the street, if we can call it that? Okay, so before it would be very much more physical thing, you know, and it was a smaller community. So everyone would gather in the record shops, which would be in Soho. <clears throat> everyone would, would gather at the jams, which would be, you know, Subterranea, Brixton, and you, you'd know everyone in the community. Once the record shops closed, everything went online. So now it's, it's emails and it's more about socialising and, and, and discovering new music online, which, 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 which is great, do you know what I mean? But like you said, it's very easy now for DJs just... I think a lot of DJs have given up, to be honest. I think they literally do exactly what you, you, you said. They open their emails. Okay, what's, what's the major record labels pushing this week? This is what they're pushing. And they play it. Uh, obviously, I get my music from, from emails. Do you know what I mean? That's the way you get them now. No one's making vinyl. No one's really making CDs or stuff like that. So it's a combination of just, just being up to date, being on social media, listening to, 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 to new stuff. And, and going through loads of stuff that <coughs> is, isn't very good. Where before you could just go into a record shop and go, what's hot? Do you know what I mean? And then you'd get what's hot. And then there'd be artists there as well who'd be maybe shot in their tunes and they'd be like, yo, here's a white label. So, so now it's more about hearing a higher content of music. So for every hundred tunes that I might hear that I've never heard before, I can guarantee you... 90% of them, maybe even more, will be terrible and there'll be no, no interest to me whatsoever. But I think as well, an important thing to, 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 to point out is when you're a hip-hop DJ <clears throat> and it's your job to play good new music, so for me, I've literally been sent... I was thinking about this the other day, it's kind of mad. I've literally been sent every hip-hop tune that's been made in some ways since... 1993 do you know what i'm saying so because i've always been on like every mailing list so a lot of people there comes a point when hip-hop changes and hip-hop changes really every five years so there, there comes a point where people who are into the hip-hop in, in in 1990 who are listening to breaking atoms by the time it changed a bit in 94 and got more gangster or whatever and you know the West Coast came up more, people would, would turn off. Or maybe, you know, when when the bounce of hip-hop changed with Timberland and then Neptunes, producers like that, a lot of people were turned off with that. 
But for me, because I'm, it's my job to constantly listen to everything, like, and pay attention, I've, I've followed everything, right? So I've always been able to, 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 to be up date with what's going on. So it's, it's very hard for me, really, to, 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 to not like things. Do you know what I mean? Uh, because it's 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 something I'm I'm really passionate about. Okay, all right. So you just mentioned that you've probably heard every single hip hop song since 1993. Mm. That's a lot of music and a lot of information for for a brain to actually like compute and keep and keep track of. Yeah. As someone who's listened to all that music, right? I can imagine that you know. Being on various stations, you were on ItchFM, you'd have some kind of archiving process or, you know, some kind of procedure that you go through. So if I was to come to you and I'd say, you know what, DJ MK, please find me uh, your radio show from April 12th, 1996. I'm going to assume you would know how to find it. Can you can you paint that picture in terms of your archiving and your admin process when you've literally heard and played so much music over the years? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, when you've been sent so many records and when you've been into something like hip hop for as long as I've been into it, you pick up a lot of things, right? Physical items. Also, from when I first got into hip hop, because I didn't know about specialist record shops and because I didn't have any money before I even got remember I was telling you about the compilation albums, it was all about recording the radio. So recording Westwood, recording Dave Pierce, recording Mike Allen, that was your soundtrack to the week. So <clears throat> I've literally got thousands and thousands of cassettes, which I still have. And that's everything from 80s pirate radio to live, live concerts to American radio DJs like Kid Capri, Red Alert, old school park jams from the eighties, just everything. And I'm so glad I kept that because now, especially with the internet, that, you know, none, half of that stuff, most of that stuff is, isn't online. And it's kind of like a forgotten history. And it's, it's very easy for, for people, for journalists to, to change the history. And and I'm seeing that online a lot when 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 the history of UK rap in this country is talked about. It's talked about very much from a perspective that it went like this. Yeah, there was some type of hip hop in the eighties. They all rapped in an American language. Then that changed. Then we had grime. And then it was the grime MCs, <clears throat> you know what I mean, around, around about 2000, 2001, that changed everything. And then that's where we are now. That scene divided, you know, so you had the grime scene and then the UK hip-hop scene turned into some type of backpacker scene. And then that's, that's, that's kind of the history, you know. And there's so much history that is not talked about. And... A lot of these guys who who who, who are who, who are writing about this and putting out this this false information, it's it's just because they obviously weren't about. You know what? You, I, you know what I'm gonna say mm-hmm. though, bro. Even if 
you weren't about the people who were about are still about and that's my issue is that we don't we don't tap into these sources of of information and sometimes there's information that you need that you just can't google you know of course and if, if you're if you're a, a historian or writing about any history look if me and you want to write about i don't know the women's lib movement of the late 1960s I wasn't alive, you weren't alive, but what are we going to do? We're going to talk to the women who were still alive. We're going to look look back at old newspaper cuttings and see what the reporting styles were. All right, well, let's talk to those journalists. So like you said, all the dudes who are making stuff are still alive. And, and it's just lazy. It's just lazy. That's that's all it is. But, you know, to to to, to not talk about guys like MCD, do you know what I mean? Who not only was one of the best MCs in the UK, but the stuff he was talking about, you know, like the political stuff, the education that he was giving the youths, talking about slavery, talking about government systems, talking about the Queen. This ain't no backpacker, some chief. This is the real deal. And it, this is our history, you know, and it's very much easy to say, Oh well, it's just happened like this. But if 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 you look at the history that's being presented, that's not our history, and it's it's, it's a very fake account. You, you, you know what though? I, I reckon what we're gonna need is 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 a, a UK version of hip hop evolution, um, because too much stuff is getting glossed over. And even though I'm older. I'm still learning. I'm still filling in the blanks in so many ways. Like just the other day, my boy Darren Lucas, shout out to Darren. He 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 reminded me of uh, Caveman. Of course. And Caveman, that's a that's a that's a group I haven't heard about in in a long time. And you know, if if we were to be really honest about it, I don't think Caveman get mentioned enough. And you know, in my opinion, of course, anyway. Of course, of course. I mean, and at the time between 1990 and 1991, like Caveman was 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 one of the biggest UK crews out there, and the album came out on Profile Records. That's the same record label as Run DMC. They were huge, and they sold units, you know. Uh, and 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 the list just goes on and on. And 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 they they really these guys really are the unsung heroes. You know, dudes like Hijack. <clears throat> yeah, so they're signed to Musical Life. Which again, Music and Life Records was was a huge record label. They had so many great artists, uh, and then yeah, they signed Ice T. Saw him at a show, I think, when he did Brixton Academy, and and he signed them up. And then their album came out on Warner Brother Records via Ice T's Rhyme Syndicate. So, so many people did huge things, which opened doors and made the way for everything that we see now. And that's, that's obviously always the way, but that history is, 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 is still there. And, you know, it, it, it should be talked about and documented properly, which, which, which it isn't. Uh, and then you can go even further and go back to the sixties and, 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 and more the seventies of sound system culture. Do you know what I mean? And then how that <clears throat> influenced MCs, and then that died down, and then the hip-hop scene that came about in London, and there's so much, man, and it's so it's so interesting, because there's so much, and then you've got the graph side as well, and then you've got Covent Garden, and 
You know what I mean? There's there's a lot going on, and there needs to be, <clears throat> like you said, uh, a, a, a series uh, done on it. You know what I mean? Okay, all right. So if we if we backtrack just a little bit um, and, and go back to the whole DJing thing, in my opinion, um, I think DJs make the the best producers. So you know, you look at guys. You know, the obvious the obvious picks. You've got you know your DJ premieres, your Pete Rocks, uh, yeah, yeah, Doctor yeah. Dre's. You mentioned Jazzy Jeff earlier as well. Um, they've just gone on to not only be amazing DJs, but like. what i would call genre defining producers yeah why is it that djs becoming producers is such a common thing and why are they so good at it i think i think that's quite an easy one i think the answer to that is the sheer amount of music that you're actually absorbing and listening to so say for example if you want to get good at anything i don't know whether it's being a carpenter, a footballer, a DJ, they say you've got to put in the 10,000 hours, right? So if you're a DJ, so say like Large Professor, he was probably a DJ for, I don't know, maybe five years before he even started doing production. But the amount of music he is absorbing into his brain is incredible. Every different genre. Do you know what I mean? So once you go into the room and first get on that either computer or get on an MPC or whatever you, you were using, you've already got that step ahead of the knowledge in your brain of, 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 of sonically what you want to hear and what sounds good. Because you've listened to so many different genres and so many different tastes of music, you should be one up and should be, you know what I mean? Have that as an advantage, as a tool of ammunition to then make amazing music which, like you said, Premier, Pete Rock, all DJs. So, so, and also, like, with timing, you, you get to know the structure of your music because you've studied so much music. So then the formation of the music that you're making is, can be different, you know what I mean? So Okay, yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. Well said, well said. Um, you are Dizzy Rascal's DJ, you're yes. his tour DJ. Um, not just Dizzy Rascal, but you've also toured extensively with the legend himself, Roots Maneuver. Yeah. How did you how did you meet both and, and what's life like on the road with, with both of them? Have you got any <laughs> any interesting non-incriminating stories that you can share with us? It's cool if you don't, but just give us give us an idea about life on the road with Dizzy Rascal and Roots Maneuver. Uh, I met Rodney in nineteen ninety four. 95 I used to go to a record shop called Sound Source Records that was in Covent Garden. The two guys who owned that store, three guys I should say, used to work in a record shop called Groove Records on Greek Street. Groove Records opened in the mid 70s and I think was was probably one of the first if not the first record shop in central London that would import American records. Like disco like soul funk and early hip-hop so groove records was like the legendary record shop so there was a guy called choose who's a lawyer at the time he set up sound of money records sound of money records put out black twang and they put out uh, an early roots maneuver record called uh, next type of motion at the time i was doing mixes for tim westwood on capital radio 
and I think no, no, it was Radio One by then, and I think I was doing my first mix maybe for Radio One, and I heard this record called Next Type of Motion. Really liked it. Said said uh, the guy who, who obviously he's putting out on his label gave me a copy, and I gave it this world premiere, its first play, and then I got to meet Rodney. We got on, and then we were just mates for like two years. Then in '97, I was setting up the Real Records with uh, a guy called Tony Vegas and a guy called Pete Real. I remember I was outside the shop, uh, sanding the sign, the deal real sign, and I see Rodney come down the road, and then we ended up chatting. Uh, we went to the pub, which was on the corner of Knoll Street, and, you know, we were just chatting, and he was going, I'm broke, you know, <clears throat> I'm trying to start this record label called Wayward Records. I was like, all right, cool. And I remember I'd seen him do a show a few weeks before. I was a judge for the UK Heat, so the DMCs, and he was doing a PA. And I always rated him as an MC, his voice, his style, and the way he was different. I was a fan. I was obviously his friend, but I was a fan. Uh, and I saw him do this show, and he was he was was good as a, as an artist, but the show itself was absolutely terrible. Like, uh, he, he, he had, uh, this, this girl DJ for him called Sophie, who is this girl I know who used to work at black market records and really nice girl, really safe girl, knew her music into drum and bass mainly, I think, but a terrible DJ. Like the show was, the show was a disaster. I, I think even she'd say it was a disaster and it just wasn't working. So I said to him, I was like, we were sitting down having a drink and, and I was saying, I've just been signed up to this this uh, DJ agency called Profile Records. I need an MC to, to come out on the shows with me, you know, and just hype it up. And, and, and you've got a few tunes out on road. Why don't we try and do something? And that's how it all started. So then we did like, you know, the hood gigs for £50, and then Rodney was signed to Ninja Tunes via Big Dada, and then he had an album out, and then we did more, sh the shows just got more and more popular. We we properly studied the craft, and he'd come around my yard, just in my bedroom, and we'd work out a format for shows. And then with a span within a span of two years of doing that, we were on stage at Glastonbury and started to, to tour the world. Uh, and looking back, we were the first guys to do a lot of things, you know, as in, I don't know, like, like now if you're a UK artist, you, you do Brixton Academy. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of like a standard thing. Right. But there was a time when the only UK artists you'd see at Brixton Academy were supporting the US guys. They wouldn't be there doing a solo show because a UK artist can command a fan base where 5,000 people would turn up and sell out Brixton Academy. But we were the first guys to do that. Forum, same thing. No one, no UK artist would do the forum. Now it's a, a standard thing. Where's my show? It's at the forum. We were the first guys to do that. All the big festivals out in Europe, even festivals like Wireless, there was no hip-hop. There was no UK hip-hop acts going out, repping and doing all these festivals around Europe, around the world, stuff like Coachella. 
We did that back in 2004, 2005. Yeah. Main stage, but you, you, you know, you know we, something we, not to cut you. You know, you know what it is about uh, Roots Maneuver for me. Even though he's like he's he's a hip hop guy, like he's he's an MC, right? Top shelf, yeah. top tier MC. When you speak to people who may not necessarily be into their hip hop like that, or they're into like other genres of music, or you know the festival goers, they all know Roots Maneuver, and I think I think hmm. that's actually pretty cool that he's been able to kind of um ride uh you know, both waves in a sense that, you know, he gets respect from the hip hop heads. He gets respect from, you know, the, the, you know, the eclectic music lovers, if you, you know, if you can. Call yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's because obviously he's, he's, he's a diverse artist, but also the record label that put out his music and the platform they gave him was tapped into that alternative world. So they had that fan base around the world. So we were able to go on tour We'd, we'd go on tour in 1998 and do like a 40-date tour of Canada and America. We'd go back there two years later and do theatres for 2,000 people, solo shows, not supporting Americans. So <clears throat> stuff like that really broke down boundaries, opened doors and sold units as well. Do you know what I mean? Where before that weren't really... That weren't really the thing. Uh, so then, and then with Dizzy, like I met Dizzy through like mutual friend, and he was just, again, just this huge talent. And I met Dizzy, I think I first met him around about 2006, 2007. And he, he must have been like 22 then. And what struck me was how sharp this guy was, how intelligent this guy was, how he just had his little tentacles open to everything and he'd absorb everything. And he was a smart and a very, very clever guy, obviously a wicked MC and, and, and did good shows, but he was more than that. There's certain people you meet and you're like, rah, you're a real talent. So like when I met Dizzy, I felt that way. When I met Rodney, I felt that way. When I first met ASAP Rocky, I felt that way. When I first met Kendrick Lamar, you feel like you're in the presence of someone who's a bit more than just a good MC. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so let's let's take it back. Let's take it back to radio. Uh, you have the uh, the hip hop show on Kiss with uh, DJ Shorty Blitz. Shout out to to DJ Shout Shorty, to Shorty Blitz. Blitz. Love that guy. As as two people. Um, who who love music, and I know you may be, you you maybe only be able to speak for yourself, but okay, as someone who loves music, um, and you love it in a pure way, uh, I'm going to assume you'd do it even if you weren't getting paid yeah. for it. As someone who has to deliver music for a radio station, how do you balance the creative freedom that you love with what's expected of you from your employee or your business partner? You know what? We've been really, really, really lucky at KISS where they've given us a platform and they've kind of let us do our thing. So me and Shorty are one of the few DJs who are on legal radio where we don't have a playlist. There's no playlist whatsoever. And they totally trust us with the music that we're playing uh, and they let us do our thing. Which, which is great. Now, obviously, 
we love hip hop. But if we do a two hour show that's just playing, you know, really underground kind of niche stuff between seven and nine PM on a Saturday night, that's not really going to go down well. Do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's more about using your brain and me going, right, you know, I think this tune will fit in. But everything we play, we like. And everything I've ever played, I'll stand behind and I like. And we won't follow the crowd. So I, I think we literally have the only rap show in the UK that covers everything, that, that is current, where you can hear the latest tune from, you know, production from a, a draw producer like MK The Plug or M1, and then you can hear the latest more road side, whether it be Ambush and Gigs, and then you can hear, you know, an Alchemist production, Freddie Gibbs album, or, or, or something like that, or, or, or just someone who sent me a tune, and I, I think it's good. Yeah, so, you know what? I can I can definitely uh, back you on that because I remember the first time I actually met you and, and Shorty Blitz. I met you through uh, Mr. Drastic, who brought right. me up to yeah, the station with him when we were doing Grand Central. And I remember, yeah, I hadn't met you like a, a day in my life, and you were like, "Look, man, uh, love what Drastic's doing. You know, he he he's told us good things about you. We've heard good things about you, and you yeah. let me jump on the mic. So, exactly. you know, I I I often tell people actually that you and Shorty Blitz were two of the earliest DJs I could say played my music without playing politics and that's something I, I would always appreciate but then again I, I have I've heard stories about DJs who can only play the music that they like when they're in their car yeah or you know when they're listening to music in their in their own personal time like you know when it's time to work and play music on the station or at the station They've got to play what's what's playlisted, uh, essentially, you know? Of course. But when you do that, when you go down that road, then suddenly you're a robot and you're owned by by by, by the record labels, really. So you, you lose your, your identity and you lose everything that you started doing it for. So what's the point in, in being a DJ when you're just playing the algorithms that the, the record major record labels are sending you. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's no need for that. Okay. So, uh, we're going to wrap up, wrap up shortly, but I've got a couple of, not a couple, but three, I've got three quick fire questions that I just want to, uh, ask you because sure. yeah, a few of my friends and a few of our listeners are DJs right. and you know, they, they're going to want to know the answers to these questions. Uh, number one, what single night has been the most memorable for you as uh, a DJ? Probably, I mean, there's loads, man. It's hard to say, but off the top of my head, I, I don't know, man, because if, if I say one, I, I know I'm going to kick myself uh, and think of another one that was, that was even better. But probably doing my first tour of stadiums in New Zealand and Australia with Dizzy, I remember there was one show where we were the first people who did an actual gig on a commercial plane. Bruv, they had CDJs, they had speakers. It's not like they took out the seats. It's an actual plane, right? <laughs> uh, they had speakers. One of the speakers caught fire, and there was a fire on the plane. Then we landed. Then we did a show for MTV, 
Uh, and then there was just like, everyone was there. It was mad. And then, yeah, there was a, a crazy after party after that. I mean, there's loads, man, but I, I, I'll say that one. That was kind of, that was kind of crazy. Question number two, what's the one mistake that you see up and coming DJs making and what advice would you give them? That's two questions. I think the main thing, especially now, the advice, the mistake I see DJs, it's not even a mistake. It's just, it's just a sign of the times is a lot of DJs are becoming DJs because it's cool to be a DJ because it looks good on social media and, and that's it, you know, and, and that's totally, I mean, I get it. You know what I mean? Because before we were in a time where if you wanted to be a DJ, you had to have money, you had to buy the records because if you didn't have the records, then you couldn't play the game. But now you don't have to buy anything. Everything's for free. And even you don't need skills because of computer software. So now we're literally in a game where where anyone can do it. So you're going to have a large percentage of people who who don't actually really have the skill, but they have the passion and the drive to be famous in some type of capacity. That's why you see a lot of people now who start out as DJs and then suddenly they're, you know, TV hosts or, or something like that, but they, they get their, their, their break through the door from, from DJing. So I'd say if you want to do, be a DJ, study it, be the best at what you can do and, 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 and try and actually be good at it rather than DJing's a lot more than hitting the sync button and, 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 and doing a, a little, four bar mix and then letting the tune drop do you know what I mean so the last question I got for you is if if you could revisit uh, any particular year uh, era scene of music which one would it be uh, and why Uh, I'd probably go back to 94 I was 19 years old I'd moved out of home I was living in West Kent Estate and I was just hustling mixtapes and it was a great time do you know what i mean those years of 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 starting out you know and musically obviously for hip-hop that was one of the the greatest years ever so yeah i reckon that'd be a good time but obviously there's there's loads of times man so okay yeah 94 it, it was a good year uh i think we'll we'll end it there um before we say farewell and and and, and sayonara and all that good stuff can you let us know what you've got coming up next um whether it's music or shows or performances you know you know use our platform plug your stuff man we want to know okay so i'm releasing a dj and producer kit right so I'm going to be dropping that in about a week's time and it's a free download. So there's loads, like we were saying, DJs who are producers, right? So obviously there's loads of, D- of producer kits. Producers put out <clears throat> kits where they can, you know, sample drums, you know, kick snares, stuff like that. And then back in the day, as DJs, we used to buy records that had all the sounds on it that you could cut up, right? Uh, so what I've done is I've done a kit, which is for producers and DJs. So if you're a producer, there's thousands of, 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 of free kick snares, loops that you can use. But also if you're a DJ, there's instrumentals that I've made that you can cut over and there's sounds 
that you can cut up. So I'm dropping that in about a week's time. Like I said, that's that's going to be a free download. Uh, also, I've got a bunch of music that I've produced, which will be coming out. So kind of just waiting for this lockdown thing to, to, to get into some studios and finish off some vocals. So that hopefully will be out in about a month's time. In August, I'm bizarrely enough going on tour. <laughs> yeah, with this... With, with Dizzy Rascal, it's a UK tour. I think it's 11 dates. It's up and down the country. Uh, and it's like like a driving thing. So you drive in, you've got your, everything's got like a, like a rectangle around it. So you can't move outside of that, that rectangle. I think we're doing one. The Streets is doing a similar tour. That's taking place in August. That was announced uh, I saw it and like someone sent me a link to like the Daily Mail or something. But yeah, so yeah, unfortunately I had to read the Daily Mail for a second. But yeah, so that's so so that's been announced. That's taking place in August. Uh, obviously, still do my two radio shows Sunday night on Kiss Three from eleven to twelve, and then on Saturday night on Kiss Fresh with Shorty, the hip hop show seven to nine. Well, MK, look, it, it's it's been a pleasure, man. Um, I've had a I've had a good time talking to you. It's been it's been really insightful, and I just want to say thanks for for taking the time out to come on the show and you know share your share your insight. Wicked. And before you go, just want to salute you as a, a legend, not just in the UK but in the world of hip hop and music. Um, I never want anyone to to leave this show without feeling appreciated especially the legends and the pioneers and you you'll always get love at breaking atoms we appreciate you thank you Break it, man pick up and that's another episode down. I want to thank uh, DJ MK for taking the time out to, to chop it up with me at Breaking Atoms. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And as always, man, we're available. You can reach out to us and let us know what you think. Um, we're on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Break the Atoms. I'd love to to, to get your, your feedback and your thoughts on, on the episode. Um, I know I always say that we don't care and we don't listen, but we, we actually do. Um, you know, we're coming across a bit, <laughs> a, a bit aggressive and a bit ignorant but yeah reach out let us know what you enjoyed about the interview and give us your thoughts and your feedback about you know the show in general man um you know we're here to improve and we're having a good time and we we love we love sharing our thoughts with you uh we'll be back next week i don't know what's happening next week word on the street is that your man summit is making his big comeback but um you know we shall we shall see we shall see. He's taking care of family business. Shout out to Summit every time. And in the words of the infamous Mob Deep, party over. Tell the rest of the crew, peace.